0: Can you think of a single word that conveys the message of the gospel and the nature of God? If love came to mind, you're in good company. It's on Dr. David Jeremiah's mind as well. Today on Turning Point, he considers what it means to love in both vertical and horizontal relationships. From Living in the Light, here's David to introduce today's message, Loving God, Loving Each Other.
1: Well, friends, this is a a dramatic uh, passage of Scripture that equates how we love God with our responsibility to love one another. You can't say you really love God, who loves all of us as His children, and then say, but I don't love your other children. I mean, we do that humanly, but you can't do that spiritually. It violates the very principle of love that we're taught in the Scripture. have more about that in just a few moments. Friends, we are um, moving in on the... um, important days of final registration for our Holy Land tour. We're going to the Holy Land March the 22nd through April the 1st. We'd love for you to go with us. We'll be visiting some beautiful places, spending lots of time in Jerusalem and going to the Judean Desert to the Dead Sea. We'll do a baptismal service in the Jordan River. We'll be in Galilee. We'll see uh, some wonderful places. Israel is a tremendous tour. I hope you can find a way to go with us. And uh, you can find out about that by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. We have a lot more to talk about today, but I want to get started on this lesson. So let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. And uh, today we are talking about loving God and loving each other. The passage that's before us today... John is going to dramatically demonstrate the relationship of God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for one another. It is a most logical passage. It takes us through the argument of God's heart, and we cannot miss the impact of it if we listen carefully. John begins in verses 7 and 8 of the fourth chapter by giving us a definition of God's love in first john 4 7 and 8 we read beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone who loves is born of god and knows god he who does not love does not know god for god is love now if you were reading this passage in the greek new testament you would be immediately aware of the fact that john has used a play on words to let us know that he believes this so much he's practicing his own preaching for he begins the verse by saying beloved Let us love. And in that phrase are two words that come from the same root word, which is our word agape, which is the word for love. And John is really saying, my loved ones, love one another. He is saying, I love you and I want to communicate a truth to you. And the truth that I want to communicate to you, my beloved, is that you are to love one another for God is love. What is the definition of God's love? It is God Himself. This is the third time that John has taught this in this little epistle. This is not forgetful repetition on his part. This is the Holy Spirit driving home a much needed point in John's day and in ours. And John is so overwhelmed by this that he wants us to understand, and in the writing of this epistle He has given us three ways that we must remember this. And I want to show you these as we go along. First of all, he reminds us that when we love one another, we are walking in the light of God. Notice 1 John 2, 9 and 10. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. God, who is the originator of love and the orchestrator of love who teaches us to love one another reminds us through the writing of john that when we love one another we are walking in the light now notice secondly in first john 3 14 and 15 that when we love one another we are walking in the life of god verses 14 and 15 we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Watch carefully. John is saying that the way we respond to the love of God in loving others is a testimony to the fact that we are walking in the light. It is also a testimony to the fact that we are walking in the life of God. He talks about eternal life. And in the passage that we have before us today, he teaches us that when we love one another, we are walking in the love of God. Verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Here the refrain in this passage of Scripture of loving one another appears three times within the scope of just a few verses. John is going to help us understand that because we're related to God, We have to do what God does. God loves. And because we're his children, we will love also. In verse 7, he gives us a command. Let us love one another. In verse 11, he gives us a conclusion. We ought to love one another. And in verse 12, he gives us a condition. If we love one another. In fact, several times beyond this passage, he tells us again that we are to love one another. That is the definition of God's love. What is God's love? It is God himself. God himself is love. One of the first little verses I learned as a child growing up in Sunday school was God is love. But you know what, it's taken me the rest of my life to figure out what that means in every aspect of my life. Now, John, as I mentioned, is very logical in his presentation. He's given us this picture now that if you want to know what love is, you have to see God. But now he's going to show us in these next verses the demonstration of God's love. Read with me verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested or demonstrated toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 3.16 says it this way. And by this we know love. How? Because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now John gives us the fundamental reasons why we are to love one another. It is not primarily because of the love of God. It is not primarily because God is love. It is because God has demonstrated his love for us in a tangible action. Three times in the space of just a few verses we read that God sent his son to us. 1 John 4:9 God has sent his only begotten son into the world. 1 John 4:10 He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 4:14 4, The Father has sent the son as the savior of the world. Whatever else you get from this you learn first of all about the preexistence of Christ. <laughs> Christ didn't begin when he came into the world. He was a being alive forever and eternal before Bethlehem. God just looked around heaven when he wanted to demonstrate his love for us, and he said in his heart, What shall I do? How can I tell my children on earth of my love in a way that they cannot miss the message? And he said, This I will do. I will send to them the gift of my own son, the most costly gift that I can provide. And the Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us in that he sent his son. This time, the duty of loving one another is no longer abstract, but it is concrete. God loved us, and he proved that he loved us in that he sent his only son to be our savior. God's love was free. It was uncaused. It was spontaneous. And all of our love is just a reflection of his love for us. What is it that John says? We only love him because he first loved us. This is not about our love. It is about his love. For even our love is about him. And we can only love him because he first loved us. Notice. Because he loved us, he sent his son. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. Notice the way John describes God's gift. His gift was the Son, verse 14. It was His Son, verse 10. And it is His only begotten Son, verse 9. No greater gift of God is conceivable because no greater gift of God is possible. This was the demonstration of the love of God. Now, don't miss the logic of this. The definition of love is God. But God is spirit. We're humanity. How can we possibly understand love? How can we know it? The Bible tells us God is love. So what does that mean? God said, I will not leave you in that spirit of ambivalence, I will send you a message about love you will have to acknowledge. And he sent Jesus Christ, his own son, to prove to us what his love is all about. Corinthians 9.15 says it best for me. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Underline in your thinking that little phrase, he who did not spare his own son. I don't know the dynamics of eternity. I don't know how the decision was made in the heart of God to give the second person of the Trinity to this world in human flesh to die on the cross so that we would know the love of God. But I can only perceive it in the terms of my own human understanding. I am a father. I have two sons. How much would I have to love somebody to give those two sons away knowing that they would face an ignominious death? God did that because he loves us. That's what John is teaching us. God is love. How do I know that? He sent his son. And he goes on to say that because he loves us, not only does he send us his son, but he sends us his savior. Notice verse 14. The father has sent the son, a savior of the world. First John three says, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. 1 John 4, 9 says, God sent his only beginning son into the world that we might have life. 1 John 3, 5 says, as you know, that he was manifested to take away our sins. 1 John 4, 10, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. All those verses from 1 John tell us one thing. When God sent his son, he not only sent a son, he sent a savior. And when his son came and he died on the cross, he became not just the son of God, he became the savior of the world. You say, Pastor, how could that be? In the simplest language, I can tell you. Because he was God, the son. When he came to this world, he was still God, the son. And everything about God is infinite. His life and his ability to die for the whole world. If it were me, I could only die for one person. But God is infinite, and He poured the infinity of His Godhead into human flesh. And when He hung on the cross, He died, and His death was worth every single person who would ever put their trust in Him. So that when He died on the cross, He became the Savior of all those who would believe. So, what is John's point? God is love. You know, we can almost yawn when we read that because it's beyond our reach. But you cannot yawn when you get to the second point. God is love and he proved his love. He demonstrated his love because he sent his son and he sent a savior into the world. And this is almost unfair because his conclusion is what involves every one of us. Now listen carefully. Watch the demand of God's love in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God is love. He gave his love to me through Jesus Christ, who was his only begotten son. He made him my savior. He loved me that much. And now he says, beloved, if God so loved us, We ought to love one another. Amen? Now, before we close our Bibles, let's try to make that as practical as we can. What does that mean? Well, it means that the gift of God's love not only assures us of God's love for us, but it lays upon us an obligation. No one who has been to the cross and seen the immeasurable, unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. The implication here is this. We are only to love our brethren because God loved us. We are to love our brothers in the same way that God loved us. How do we do that? Well, we're to do it unconditionally. How did God love us? Did he say, clean up your act and I'll love you? No, he loved us just as we were. None of us would have any hope if that weren't true. How do we love other people? If they're a brother or sister in Christ, we love them as they are, and we pray that God will do a work in their life. And we've talked about this during this series, that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Amen? Amen. So we love unconditionally. Listen to Romans 5, 7, and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet prevents for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when there was nothing lovable about us. He loved us when we were in enmity against him. He loved us when we were alienated against him by wicked works. He loved us when we were trampling underfoot his word. He loved us when we were rejecting grace and breaking his commandments. And now John writes, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. How did God love us? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there was not anything in us that was worthy of God's love. I am never more, listen to me, I am never more like God than when I am loving like God. I didn't deserve his love. It wasn't earned. doesn't make sense. But there's something of that in the life of a believer when I love somebody who doesn't deserve my love, maybe who's hurt me, who has done something to violate me, and I still love that person. I am like God. I'm not God. I can't be God, but I become like God when I love those who don't deserve my love. And by the way, if the only people we love are the lovable ones, how are we any different than the world? That's what the Bible teaches. If the only people you love are the people that are easy to love, if you only have your own little affinity group and you just put your arms around people who are just like you and you never reach out to those who aren't like you, how are you going to be like God? The very fact that we are put into situations of difficulty is just so that the world can watch how we deal with it. Do we have any uniqueness in our ability to deal with difficult people because God is in us? If we don't, then we aren't a very good witness. And all we have to do is remember this truth. God is love, and he demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ, and I love other people out of the reservoir of God's love for me. And when I think that somebody else isn't worthy, I just remember how unworthy I am of the love of the Holy God. And I'm set free to love that person. I love them unconditionally. We love him sacrificially. Sacrificial love. Notice 1 John 3 16 through 18 says, This, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Does anybody not understand that? I mean, that's not hard to understand, is it? We love sacrificially. I remember reading a story about a Salvation Army worker who found a derelict woman alone on the street and invited her to come into the chapel for help. But the woman refused to move. The worker assured her, we love you and we want to help you. God loves you and Jesus died for you. Won't you come? The woman did not budge. As if on a divine impulse, the Salvation Army worker, the woman worker, leaned over and kissed the woman on the cheek, taking her into her arms. And the woman began to sob. And like a child was led to the chapel where she ultimately trusted in Jesus Christ. She said, you told me that God loved me. But it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. We can go all over the world telling people of God's love. But men and women, it's time for the church to start showing people that God loves. And to showing one another that we love. Love has become an empty word. It has been polluted by the culture in which we live. It means almost nothing. And when it comes to self-sacrificial love, it's a non-entity in your world and in mine, unless you're a Christian and you know about the self-sacrificing God who gave his own son to be our savior. And so he tells us that we're to love one another. And this is a lifetime task. It's not only to be done unconditionally and sacrificially, but finally it's to be done personally. First John 4, 20 and 21 says it this way. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Notice the pronouns are personal. We can't love people as a church Somebody said, oh, that's a loving church. Well, if we're a loving church, it's only because this church is made up of loving people. Churches can't love. Only people can love. Churches can't love a brother. Only people can love a brother. So whatever we are as a church, it is simply a reflection of the collected values and virtues of the individuals who are in the church. And I want to thank God that I serve a church where the love of the brethren is often displayed. But I want to urge us, as Paul urged the Thessalonians, to abound yet more and more in this love. Because it is as the world sees us loving one another that it begins to understand who God is. At the end of this passage of Scripture, it says, As He is, so are we in this world. And I want to turn that upside down because it's more powerful in some ways, the other way around. And it goes like this As we are, so is He in this world. What that means is that the only Christ most people are ever going to see is the Christ they see in us. As we are, so is He. So if we're going to express the love of God, and tell people that God loves them. We had just better be about the task of loving one another because if we aren't, then our message is empty. So you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that right now, as I close this message, just about every in this room has got somebody in mind. Somebody that you're thinking, oh God, not that person. Oh Lord, not that one. Yes, that one. (laughs) Put in your mind the thought of the person that's hardest in the world for you to think about loving and ask yourself the question, is it harder for me to love that person than it was for God to love me? I don't think so. So then, out of the love that God has given you, reach deep into that reservoir and find the love to love the person or the persons that God has put into your life. Bill Gaither wrote a little chorus that he sings with the quartet on occasion. And the title of that that song is, Loving God, Loving Each Other. And it's all about this concept. It's a great song to remind us of this truth. And, And by the way, did you know the Bible says that the world has the right to determine whether or not we're Christians? As they observe how we love one another. In other words, if they don't see that we have love for one another, they have every right and every reason to doubt the genuineness of our faith. So this is critical, friends. We can't walk through life as Christians constantly saying, but I don't love them, or I don't like them, or I don't want to be with them. They don't have to be your best friends, that they have to be in your circle of love. If you love God, you love God's people. Not all of them are perfect any more than you are or that I am. But God reminds us of our responsibility to love others. And uh, that's the message for today. By the way, we're getting down to the end of the um, First John series, Living in the Light. And I just want to remind you there's a beautiful study guide and a set of CDs that you can order on this series. Study it on your own. Share it with your small group, your Sunday school class, the people you meet with every week to just talk about the Lord. These materials are for you. We create them to be used in that way. These are study guides with um, personal and group questions, and uh, they're available to help you facilitate a study session with your friends. Ask about it when you write or call, but most of all, just go to our website. You can see it all there. It explains it, and uh, our app is another way for you to get acquainted with all this, and I hope you'll take advantage of these resources and the, the avenues we create for you to get these resources in your life. Don't forget to join us tomorrow. Here's a good pre-Christmas discussion, Casting Out Fear, from 1 John chapter 4, verses 17-19. See you tomorrow.
0: Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. To let us know how God is using Turning Point to deepen your faith, write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098 Delta, B.C., V4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's encouraging new 365-day devotional for 2022, Every Day with Jesus. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. To access our programs and resources, visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Living in the Light, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Back again this year, the Home for Christmas channel from David Jeremiah and Turning Point Ministries. Fill your season with all your favorite holiday traditions music, carols, laughter, scripture, pageants, inspirational Bible teaching, and more. Start streaming your Christmas favorites and discover new ones completely free. And enjoy the Home for Christmas channel at home, in the car, or anywhere you need a little Christmas. Visit TurningPoint.tv to start streaming today. That's TurningPoint.tv. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca/jsb. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca.
1: People are usually embarrassed by their picture on their passport and driver's license. They usually look more like a mugshot, don't they? In fact, one person said that when you actually start to look like the picture on your passport, you know it's past time for a vacation. I believe most people are overworked and underrested. Think of this. God's plan was for us to spend at least one-seventh of our life resting. He designated the seventh day of every week for nothing but rest. I know it's a challenge, but I encourage you to get the amount of rest God knows you need. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to rest on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home.
0: Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life.